Here's a big story in the UK. Now, Alexander Litvinenko, anybody who's followed this story, it's uh, got lots of twists and turns. There's a lot of politics involved. Uh, so Alexander Litvinenko was a Russian defector, uh, allegedly worked for the FSB. So for all intents and purposes, we're talking about uh, a double agent uh, at one point. So he was definitely wor- had some dealings with the British. Otherwise, he wouldn't have defected while he was working for the FSB. So he's a double agent, came all the way over to the British, and he then is employed by MI5. MI6, sorry, probably MI6, and, uh, as a British spy. And so his, he's there with his wife. They're probably all on the payroll. I don't know. Well, he definitely was on the payroll. And, uh, so he's working for the British government and he's, they, they fashioned this idea that he was a Putin critic. Anyway, in 2006, I think, uh, he turns up, uh, with uh, Millennium Hotel in Mayfair. This is just around the corner from the U.S. Embassy at Grosvenor Square in London. And also there's an Itsu Sushi restaurant over on, I think it was Green Park, two two places I know very well, and uh, apparently was poisoned with polonium-210. So this is like a nuclear radioactive isotope. Someone allegedly slipped in his tea, so we're told anyway. And uh, according to the... Uh, Inquiry, which was just completed by the British establishment and headed by a judge named Robert Owen. And this fantastic inquiry uh, concluded, according to this inquiry that concluded this week, uh, Litvinenko was killed, uh, probably, it might have, probably might have been ordered, no, approved by the Kremlin. And, uh, and Vladimir Putin by extension. So certain parliamentarians are coming out and saying, well, it, this confirms that uh, Putin ordered the murder of Litvinenko. Okay. So anyway, I start looking at this case and I'm looking for the evidence because that's quite a big claim, isn't it? You'd, you'd want to have some evidence for that. But unfortunately, uh, there is none. So th- really the conclusion of this report is, that Putin might have probably ordered, perhaps maybe approved the uh, murder. So this smacks of geopolitical gamesmanship here. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious what it is. Lo and behold, uh, Litvinenko's brother, uh, who came out this week and said that uh, Maxim is his name, Maxim Litvinenko, I think he's uh, living in Italy right now, somewhere, Rimini, I believe, beautiful seaside town on the Italian Mediterranean coast. And he said that blaming Putin for his brother's murder is ridiculous and that Britain had more reason to kill him. Wow, that's interesting. That's very interesting. So let's, let's, let's extend on that theory for a minute. So, you know, this, so Putin did it. That's the headlines. It's kind of shameful in a way. I'm going to play you something that's going to just blow you away in a minute. But, uh, the way the media grabbed this story with no evidence at all. So this is total innuendo. Apparently, apparently this is based on an obscure blog post. The main piece of evidence, the piece de la resistance of the Owen inquiry is a obscure blog post, uh, was done, written allegedly, again, we don't know if he actually wrote it, uh, written by Litvinenko for the Chechen press. This is back in 2005. Now, that's still an obscure website. I I assume it was more obscure back in 2005. 
And this article was copied on Information Liberation, another blog, strange kind of blog, but, um, but interesting. It's got some interesting information on it. They reprinted this article. Somehow they got a hold of it. And there it is. It's still on their website. There's a link to it on the show page if you want to go look for yourself. Now this alleges that, uh, uh, Litvinenko is under threat by Putin because he's exposed Putin as being a pedophile. Okay. It says so right there. And of course, who runs with this story? CNN runs with it along with everybody else. And the, the other person who's running with this story, which is interesting, in a kind of alarmingly coordinated fashion, the independent newspaper in London. Now, who owns the independent newspaper? This used to be a real scion of journalism in the United Kingdom. It has since been bought by a Russian billionaire and an anti-Putin Russian billionaire named Alexander uh, Lebedev, okay, so so he's kind of involved in this in terms of the PR. The stuff that they're putting out is pretty incredible. So uh, this is interesting. This is very, very interesting. So let's just go back to the theory for a minute. So Putin did it. That's the theory put forward by uh, the British establishment there. And uh, so there's no motive, not really. Uh, the, the, the motive is apparently fabricated by an obscure blog post allegedly written by Litvinenko. Now, my question is, if this was so explosive, why has it been buried for 10 years and now we're finding out about this Internet article? Wouldn't that just be front page news if it was so important? And this is the central piece of the Owen inquiry. This is just bizarre. We'll get back to that in a minute. So, the you know, so... So let me see. Litvinenko, he was very involved with uh, Chechen terrorists and a, an interesting mix of Chechen terrorists and Israeli-Russian oligarchs and Lebedev and Boris Berezovsky, who I don't believe is around anymore, uh, another billionaire, anti-Putin uh, billionaire. So, look, there's, uh, I won't begin to get into the idiosyncrasies of the Russian mafia and Russian oligarchy and, you know, what took place during the Boris Yeltsin years, okay, uh, which is a lot of these characters uh, cropped up um, out of that time, okay. But suffice to say, uh, I, don't, I don't see how Litvinenko was a threat to uh, Putin or the Russian state, so to speak. I think there's some funny games going on here, however, and... Uh, Litvinenko's own brother alleges that maybe the British had killed his brother uh, for whatever reason and then used him after he died to be a part, to play a, a post-humanist role in this bizarre psychodrama which is playing out in the British media and in the judiciary. And this is this is like a first in even the, the British judiciary for them to come, for a judge to slap his name on this. This was a political inquiry. Purely political. There's no evidence in there. A lot of hearsay, a lot of innuendo. But, you know, where's the beef? Where is it? So so this is exactly the U.S. and the U.K. media just lap this up uh, without even questioning it. They just grab the headlines. They run with the headlines. This is some serious uh, allegations here. Murder and child abuse. Wow. From a head of state. 
you'd expect. Maybe there'll be some evidence there, but there's not. So Litvinenko, formerly FSB, fled to the UK to avoid court prosecution in Russia, uh, signed over with British intelligence for protection, uh, worked for Boris Berezovsky, who is many things, including some might say very shady uh, in a lot of his personal uh, dealings and financial, well, the, the fortune that he amassed, uh, how he actually did it, who knows. Israeli-Russian, possibly a dual passport holder, li- lived in London, and uh, fleeing the judicial system of uh, Russia. So, I mean, Berezovsky, I think he was on Interpol's most wanted list. So this was uh, Litvinenko's best buddy. I would assume that Berezovsky, if he's hiding out in the UK, also worked for British intelligence, someone at that level. I mean, invaluable, right? So this this is what it is. This is what it is. So let's let's look at uh, roll this CNN. So this is Jim Jim Shudo. This is what CNN came out of the gates with. And I'm not picking on CNN. I'm just uh, using them as an example because they're sort of front line on a lot of these international stories. So a lot of other networks will riff off of what they're doing. So, so hence we'll use them as exhibit number one. Audio clip two. Listen to this. Now a British investigation has found that the two Russian secret agents accused of the murder, quote, probably acted with the approval of Russian President Vladimir Putin. The FSB operation to kill Mr. Litvinenko was probably approved by Mr. Petruchev, then head of the FSB, and also by President Putin. Alexander Litvinenko, who fled Russia for the UK to seek asylum, was an outspoken critic of the Kremlin. Accusing President Putin of orchestrating the deadly bombings of Russian apartment buildings in 1999 to justify a second Russian invasion of Chechnya. Another potential motive? The report cites an article Litvinenko published that accuses Putin of sexual involvement with underage boys and that Russian intelligence had video evidence. Litvinenko blamed Putin for ordering his poisoning and authorized this statement from his deathbed. You may succeed in silencing one man. But the howl of protest from around the world will reverberate, Mr. Putin, in your ears for the rest of your life. Today, Litvinenko's widow, Marina, welcomed the British findings. I'm, of course, very pleased that the words my husband spoke on his deathbed when he accused Mr. Putin of his murder have been proved. The details of the case seem stolen from a spy novel. Surveillance video shows the Russian agents at the London Hotel where they allegedly injected a powerful dose of the highly radioactive element polonium-210 into Litvinenko's tea during a meeting there. Litvinenko died a slow, painful death, and the radioactive polonium contaminated dozens of other people who had direct or indirect contact with him. This was a blatant and unacceptable breach of the most fundamental tenets of international law and of civilized behavior. Today, one of the accused killers, Andrei Ligovoy, now a Russian politician, vehemently denied the accusation. An outrageous lie, and I can't find any other word to describe it. Russian officials dismissed the findings as politicized. This gross provocation of the British authorities cannot help hurting our bilateral relations. 
This was a crime with more than one victim. In fact, British authorities were able to trace this radioactive element contamination, not just to Litvinenko, who was the only person to die, but to dozens of other people. His wife was contaminated, son, even people who might have passed them in a subway. And they study it, in fact, as the first radiological t attack on a city, uh, which, of course, we talk a lot about a lot in terrorism terms. They say it has already taken place in London at the hands of Russia. What a story that is. All right. Thanks very much, Jim Shudo, reporting. Oh, my Justin God, what a, a very story. Different story. Life what a story, guys. What a story. So did anyone consider the possibility, uh, this isn't so far flung, that uh, is it possible that Litvinenko was involved in smuggling polonium-210? I mean, this isn't stuff that you can just go buy at the drugstore, okay? And this isn't something, listen, let's think about this for a minute, ladies and gentlemen here. You can't just whip it out of your wallet and then spike someone's tea with it while they're in the toilet, okay? This is something that is potentially unstable in transit. Uh, certainly, if the, the guys who spiked supposedly spiked his tea would have been uh, possibly infected with it as well, okay? So... Seeing, so just think about this. So Litvinenko is the only one who is really, uh, well, that I've heard here that has died from exposure to Plony-210. So is it possible that he had in his possession for a while, uh, or for some time, this, this substance? And this is why he got very sick and he died? Is that possible? Uh, certainly I'd be considering that as a possibility, just looking at this and weighing up the official conspiracy theory. I'm using that term again because this sound, the official story sounds more and more like a conspiracy theory. I mean, highly improbable. So there's a lot of dodgy material going around, uh, perhaps a plot for a dirty bomb. Gosh, glad, I'm glad that one didn't go off. Right? So this, this, these are the sort of questions I'm I'm looking at here because the official story just doesn't add up. It doesn't add up at all. It sounds like it's fiction, and it is fiction in a way. And CNN, uh, way the way they reported it, even talked about it as if it was fiction, kind of half jokingly. Uh, one of their anchors said this uh, two days ago, three days ago, whenever the story broke. Uh, and, but he wasn't kidding. Really, audio clip three. Listen, listen to this uh, CNN anchor. Listen how they introduce the story. If you think I'm kidding, here, listen to them. The lead, I'm Dick Tapper. Topping our world lead today is a tale that seems straight out of a spy novel. So audacious, so horrific. It would have to be a work of fiction, but it's all too true. An ex-KGB agent mysteriously poisoned while having tea at a London hotel. Within days, he was dead. Well, it turns out that the plot to kill Alexander Litvinenko was likely approved at the Kremlin's highest level by none other than Russian President Vladimir Putin. That conclusion, according to a report released this morning by investigators in the UK, where Litvinenko was poisoned with polonium-210 in the year 2006. Let's get right to CNN's international diplomatic editor, Nick Robertson, who's live in London. Nick, what do investigators believe was the motive beyond the fact that he was an ex-KGB spy? 
Yeah, sure. One of the things, Jake, was that he was very critical of Putin. He moved to UK in the year 2000, uh, and he alleged uh, such things as the uh, big apartment bombings in Moscow in 1999 that allowed Putin to go to war in Chechnya were really a put-up job by the state. There was that. Uh, that was when he was talking about that. That was big, explosive news. We kind of know about it a little more now, but that was a big deal at the time. He was also helping the British intelligence services unravel the Russian criminal mafia that were operating um, clandestinely in the UK. So there, there was a number of reasons that, it, that uh, Putin might have a good, strong need, if you will, to, to silence him. And something also about alleging that Putin is a pedophile? There was some of that too. Uh, his criticism of, of Putin was very strong. Um, and, you know, one of the witnesses in this report that came out, uh, an unnamed witness uh, who, spoke to, who spoke to one of the alleged killers, the alleged killer said, uh, we've been told not to shoot him, but poison him, poison Litvinenko, to send a strong message to the others. So this was a man who was not a friend to President Putin in any shape or form. So, but is there evidence linking this to Putin directly? There's no smoking gun. There's a lot of, uh, if you will, circumstantial evidence. There's a lot of things that the investigation points to. It says, look, the polonium-210, uh, uh, this radioactive poison that was used to kill uh, Litvinenko, it could have only been made in a nuclear reactor. Nuclear reactors in Russia are under the control of uh, uh, the Russian state. But for that, for the poison to get out of the sort of atomic energy agency then into the hands of the intelligence services would need to be done by somebody who was overarching and above both of those. Now, in the sort of back-covering way that uh, the bureaucracy works in Russia, the assessment is that could have only been done by Putin. It's a track record of, of other critics uh, being apparently silenced by being killed. Uh, so th there's a lot of other details as well, but that's a principal one. And, and okay. Quickly, if you could Okay, so that so it's interesting now. So that's Nick Robertson. Uh, he's supposed to be a journalist. Um, he made some egregious errors there in his statement. One of them was he was asked point blank by Jake Topper, "Is there any evidence to convict Vladimir Putin for this murder?" It was a straight question. Now, when 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 people in the media or journalists, because not all people in the media are journalists. <laughs> uh, but when you have people in the media and journalists asking questions to, to uh, politicians, they always will avoid the question. That's standard. We expect that from politicians. They, they never, Ben Carson or Trump, uh, Cruz, whatever, Hillary Clinton, you ask them a straight question, they'll give you a dodgy answer. Um, they'll, they don't want to ever answer a direct question because they feel that they can be implicated by their answer. So, But you don't expect this from uh, between two journalists. So Jake Tapper, is there any evidence? And Nick Robertson says, uh, well, uh, there's no smoking gun. So that means there's no evidence. You, you couldn't answer the question. And he didn't. There's no smoking gun. Is there evidence or not? The answer is resoundingly no, quite clearly. But they managed to talk this stuff up for two or three days. One show after another, one segment, next expert comes on, does the exact same thing. So the, 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 the Owen inquiry, unnamed witnesses, uh, all, all the evidence they have is locked uh, under secrecy, uh, so we can't see it, no one can see it. So they've come to these conclusions, but you can't see the provenance of the conclusion. 
It's a secret. This reminds me of uh, when everyone was asking Tony Blair, can we see the uh, intelligence uh, files and assessments uh, for the Iraq war? Were the WMDs? Oh, we can't show you. That's that's national security. It's a secret. Trust us. We've looked at it. It's very compelling evidence. Trust us. So said Tony Blair back in 2003. And every year since, he's been you know, well, dodging that issue, amazingly. So, so I, mean, I don't trust, I personally, my experience leads me to believe that you can't trust them when they say trust us. Okay? And I'm not alone in that assessment. I think I've got a few dozen million people behind me on that. Okay? So, Nick Robertson, interesting. He also said that Litvinenko moved to the UK in 2000. He neglected to say he didn't move to the UK. He fled to the UK. Okay? that These these little details change the story a great deal. But they're very conveniently left out by all these commentators and uh, reporters or journalists. I'm not sure what they are sometimes. But uh, and then he said that... Um, uh, Litvinenko or Putin was accused of uh, uh, bombing an apartment building uh, in order to trigger the war in Chechnya. And he called it a, quote, a put-up job by the state. So what is he talking A put-up job? Are we talking about a false flag? Can They, they will never use the term false flag on CNN, even if it's against somebody they want to accuse it of. So they used instead put-up job, because as soon as you use the word false flag, once you use the language, once you invoke the term terminology, once that becomes part of the lexicon, then you have to validate that, you have to define it, you have to be ready to define that particular term in the lexicon. And put-up job is, is not uh, an accurate description here, but this is what Nick Robertson used. He should have said false flag. Does he know what a false flag is? I hope so. Although I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't. But, uh, that's, that's kind of really amazing. So, so here's how, this is what RT had to say. Now some people out there are going to go, oh, well, RT, of course they're going to defend Putin. Yeah, of course they're going to defend, uh, uh, Putin. Or of course they're going to pull up any inconsistencies in this story. So, so you, I look in, I look at this report, or at least the publicly available Parts of the report, the word may, the terms may have appears 52 times in the report, uh, might have 32 times in the report, could have 33 times in the Owen Inquiry report, and the word probably, uh, 34 times. So let's total all those up. Uh, so between may have, might have, could have, and probably, we have four and three, seven and eleven, carry the one, six and six, third, uh, nineteen, hundred and So a hundred and ninety-one times you've got this ambiguous language in this report. So it's pretty bad. This is pretty bad. So roll audio clip four. Here's what RT has to say and then we'll, I'll wrap it up. This judge has concluded that Vladimir Putin, quote, probably backed the murder of former Russian spy Alexander Litvinenko. The findings of a public inquiry were released on Thursday. Litvinenko was a former FSB agent and Kremlin critic and was poisoned by radioactive polonium in London in 2006. I have further concluded that the FSB operation to kill Mr. Litvinenko 
was probably approved by Mr. Patruchev, then head of the FSB, and also by President Putin. The report caused a stir in the media, but even those who gave evidence say it lacks solid evidence. One expert involved in the inquiry described the accusations against Vladimir Putin as unprovable. In fact, words like probably, might have, and could have are used dozens of times in the report, drawing criticism for its ambiguous tone in the process. Not that it stopped British authorities from following that up with a few bold claims. The inquiry confirms the assessment of successive governments that this was a state-sponsored act. It confirms that the Russian state, at its highest level, sanctioned the killing of a British citizen on the streets of our capital city. The Putin government can never and should never be treated as an equal and full partner in global political affairs. What we are dealing with in Putin's Russia is a rogue state. It's uh, unprecedented in British legal history. Uh, no one is probably guilty of something if they're not proven guilty in a transparent uh, uh, judicial process, then they have to be presumed innocent uh, of the crime. But to try to put Russia into a corner again, which seems to be the British state policy, uh, though it cannot be in our national interest, uh, is undoubtedly at play here. I think uh, the word probably has been missing from any of the statements by government ministers, Theresa May, who is in charge of security, and indeed her Labour opponent. They are taking it absolutely for granted that the Russian government is to blame. The word probably may be in the report, but it is not being used by any British government ministers. And it's almost like a competition as to who can be hardest in condemnation of the Russian government and the Russian state. Alexander Litvinenko was a former Federal Security Service officer. He was arrested in 1998 on treason charges and he spent several months in prison. He then fled to London in 2000. There, Litvinenko started working with MI6 and became a staunch critic of the Kremlin. On the 1st of November 2006, he was poisoned with radioactive polonium. Well, he met several people that day, so let's take a look at how events are believed to have unfolded. First, he had lunch with Italian intelligence officer and nuclear expert Mario Scamarea. Then Litvinenko went to see exiled Russian oligarch Boris Berezovsky at his office. Two hours later, he met two former KGB agents who Britain accuses of murdering him. Both deny the allegations. While announcing the findings of the inquiry, the High Court judge made it clear that the secret evidence that was gathered during the investigation would never be released. The government material was of such sensitivity that it could not be produced in any form of public or open hearing. The material was therefore necessarily excluded from the inquest proceedings well, that's led Russia to round on the UK report for what it sees as a lack of transparency. President Putin's spokesperson called it a product of the British sense of humour because an open public inquiry had relied on undisclosed information from an unnamed intelligence service. RT spoke to Russia's ambassador to the UK. Here's his reaction. 
we're happy that uh, at least we, we have some report. But the major problem for us is that this investigation was secret. It wasn't public. It was not open for the press and that we couldn't take part in these hearings. And uh, the results are not justified. And we cannot accept the uh, allegations that uh, Russian state, one way or another, is, uh, uh, is uh, involved in this, uh, in the death of Litvinenko. This is absolutely unacceptable for us, and we don't have a chance even to study the papers, the documents. That's undermined the bilateral relations. Uh, it's undermined the trust. And uh, we believe that uh, this process was very politicized. Another reaction, the Russian okay. online... We'll come back. So, so that's uh, what's going on right now. Okay, do you remember over the summer uh, there was a big thing about FIFA corruption, the World Football Association, FIFA corruption that was trying to basically wrestle away the World Cup uh, 2018 bid uh, from Russia, who had won the bid uh, a few years ago. I think it was back in 2010. Russia had won the bid. Uh, who else was bidding for Russia for the World Cup at that time? England was bidding for the World Cup. At that time, so they all sent their delegation to Switzerland, and uh, we all know FIFA is a corrupt organization. So I guess uh, someone had fatter envelopes than the others, or who knows exactly how things get done in FIFA. But I'm sure it's not all above board or above the table. But anyway, Russia comes away with the bid. Britain is absolutely furious. They sent Prince William, David Beckham, and David Cameron. Imagine that those three amigos shows up, showed up in Geneva or wherever it was in Switzerland, lost the bid to the Russians. I mean, talk about egg on the face. So the royal family's upset. There was a little bit of a tit for tat. Uh, a, a Russian, allegedly a Russian spy was nabbed uh, from an MP in Southampton who's working as his PA. Uh, so they uh, went and uh, arrested her and put, brought her in and whatnot. And so there's a little bit of that going back and forth. The, the World Cup is a big deal. Okay, especially what the World Cup represents, what it projects in terms of public image globally. The World Cup is, to me, more significant in terms of uh, capturing the imagination of the man on the street uh, with soccer more than the Olympics. Now, some people are going to disagree with me. Oh, how can you say that? Listen, the, the power of soccer... Um, in terms of its its focus and its importance culturally, globally as a sport, is to me much more potent even than the Olympic Games. That is a big deal. You get the World Cup, that's huge. Okay, um, and so what does it mean? It means that it's going to help your public relations a great deal. And right now, Europe is ready to back off of sanctions against Russia. They're looking at the whole Russian sanctions thing, saying we're losing money hand over fist. And why? Because Washington wants us to have sanctions against Russia. For what? Well, no one's sure exactly why. Uh, it was supposed to be because uh, uh, Russian-backed rebels shot down MH17 on uh, whenever it was, July 17th, 2014. You remember that? That was the reason why sanctions were dropped on at that point, economic sanctions. But there's no proof that, that Russia had anything to do with that or that even Russian-backed rebels did. In fact, the black boxes are still sitting somewhere in Farnborough in England. Can we can we have some? Can we release the tapes, please, or something? So th this is what's going on behind the scenes here. This is big stuff. Plus, what's going on in Syria? Plus, Turkey planes being shot down, etc. 
Russian involvement in Syria. This is, this is major geopolitical game. So if you think that this Litvinenko uh, looks like a show trial uh, done in absentia uh, is anything but political, then I have a bridge to sell you uh, with Chris Christie sitting on it having a hoagie. Okay, so what's really going on here, you know, Russia knows very well. They've lived through the horror of the 1990s. Okay, Washington wants to reinvent Boris Yeltsin in some way, shape, or form. Okay, he presided over Russia's lost decade. I'm going to read you a little excerpt from a great piece which was published uh, earlier this year by Stephen Lenman uh, at globalresearch.ca. Michelle Chofidovsky's website. So, uh, so Washington wants to reinvent the Boris Yeltsin years. So this is what Boris Yeltsin did. He let 80% of Russian farmers go bankrupt. He closed 70,000 state factories, presided over an unemployment epidemic. Half or more of ordinary Russians became impoverished. A permanent underclass was created. Crime, suicides, uh, mortality, infant mortality, alcoholism, drug abuse. Prostitution, HIV, AIDS soared to intolerable levels. So-called shock therapy, a.k.a. forced-fed austerity. Neoliberal economics produced this economic genocide. Their GDP, GDP plunged 50%. Life expectancy fell significantly. Democratic freedoms died uh, before they even got out of the gate. So the oligarch class, like Boris Beresovsky and others, accumulated enormous wealth very quickly through various swindling activities. And a lot of those swindlers are these anti-Putin critics, if you noticed. Okay? So Western interests profited. And then uh, at the expense of millions of Russians, of course. So Yeltsin, uh, he let corruption and criminality flourish. Okay? He spent... Quite. A, this is not Stephen talking, this is me. Yeltsin spent a fair bit of time under the table caressing and clutching a bottle of vodka. Okay, this is where he spent a lot of his time. Okay, and Washington loved him. They loved him. They, The media loved him. Washington loved him. They thought he was great. They praised all his democratic reforms. And this is what was going on behind uh, the facade of Boris Yeltsin. An economic genocide in Russia. This is why they don't like Vladimir Putin. Because look, look what Russia's come out of that now. And under whose leadership? That's all I'm saying. I'm just looking at the facts. Okay. I think you can kind of judge what the narrative is just by looking at the facts, not by listening to, uh, the propaganda. It is propaganda what we're getting in the West. It's just like endless demonization of Putin. And this story just it epitomizes the fraud behind that. And I, I have to say, and there's an article up on 21st Century Wire, and this is all linked, this is all verified, that it's amazing that, that the centerpiece of this inquiry would be uh, an obscure blog post. Isn't that interesting? And, you know, I, I think back to the Scallywag magazine, there's a link to this on the website. You can go ahead and look at it. There's the Scallywag uh, 19, late 1990s edition. I think it was 98. And it was basically a huge expose uh, about the VIP child abuse rings in, in London running out of Dolphin Square, Elms Guest House, and over there in Wrexham in Wales at the Bryn Allen Boys Home. 
and it named a lot of high-profile people, including Lord McAlpine and others. Okay, that was published and was on newsstands. They never got sued for libel for that story. Don Major sued him later for alleging he had an affair, uh, which they said he said they couldn't prove. Turns out he did. But meanwhile, that, that John Major suit put Scallywag out of business. But this VIP child abuse story was the big story behind the scenes. That's why they wanted that magazine closed, because of that scandal. Okay, why wasn't there a public inquiry? There still hasn't been a public inquiry in the UK about VIP child abuse. And yet they have a huge, high-profile inquiry over this Putin affair with Litvinenko with no evidence at all. Well, no evidence that we can see. A lot of probably maybes and mites. Okay. So why don't they take an interest in some of these other scandals where it was documented, where th- that we now know is to be true, based on what we know about all those uh, scandals in Westminster? Look at the amount of news that's come out in the last five years. It's just endless. So why don't why don't they have a public inquiry about that issue? Yet they're running around chasing windmills in Russia. I find that incredible. So there we go. There's a link to that story up at 21stCenturyWire.com. 